Well, this morning we are starting a new series called Glimpses of Calvary. And we are going to be hitting Calvary every single Sunday, all the way up until Easter. And we're going to be looking at Calvary actually not through the New Testament stories, but really looking at Calvary through the Old Testament stories. And so the title is Glimpses of Calvary because what I want us to see is the little glimpses, the little shadows, the, the, the little rays of sunshine in these Old Testament stories that actually point to the fullness of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. And so we're going to be uh, looking at a number of different things uh, throughout this series. So today we're actually going to be talking about the offering of Isaac, which Tosh read for us in Genesis chapter 22. And then next week we're going to be talking about how Moses lifted up a brazen serpent on a cross in the wilderness and how that points to Jesus taking our curse for us. We're going to look at Isaiah 53 and some of the beautiful and amazing prophecies that Isaiah gave depicting the suffering servant who was going to come to redeem humanity. Uh, we're going to look at, uh, during Easter week, we're going to look at the Day of Atonement and how the high priest would go in once a year into the most holy place, into the very Shekinah glory of God, and make atonement for all of the people with, his, with the blood of an animal, and how that pointed towards Jesus as our high priest going into the most holy place with his own blood. We're going to look at the Passover and how the slaying of that lamb and the, the children of Israel had to take that blood and put it on the doorpost and the lintels so that they would be protected from the death angel, how that slaying of that lamb, the Passover, points beautifully and wonderfully to Jesus. And I hope that throughout this series, we will be able to see the clarity of the cross and how the cross of Jesus Christ and the sufferings of Jesus and all that he did and what we celebrate at Easter was not an afterthought, wasn't something that God just said, oh man, everything else I was doing is failing here. I, I better make plan B here and, and make a way for humanity to come back to me. No, this is all so beautifully put, uh, set out in the heart and mind of God and it just overflowed into the stories of the Old Testament as, as glimpses as rays of sunshine, as just little bits and pieces here and there where the Old Testament prophets and saints could get a little idea of what God was actually planning in all of his fullness and glory for the New Testament time. It was March 24th, 1998, in Jonesboro, Arkansas, at a school called Westside Middle School. A teacher by the name of Shannon Wright, she was a 32-year-old teacher who had gone to the same school as a child and had gone away and gotten her teaching degree and had come back and returned to teach in that same school. She taught um, 11, 12, and 13-year-olds English. And after lunch, she was getting her children settled in their classroom when the fire alarm, fire alarm went and all of the children and the teachers had to exit outside. And sadly, as they exited outside, they were met with a barrage of bullets. And people, and two children actually were shooting all of these people that were coming out. And Shannon, she saw one of the other, a girl that was there, Emma Pittman, and she saw that she had been shot and that someone was aiming to, to shoot her. She went and stood in front of Emma Pittman and she herself was hit, and she died. 
she laid her life down so that this young girl could be saved. And when you think of something like that, you think this is such a horrendous story, such a difficult um, thing to even process and think about, and such tra tragedy. But when you think of what Jesus has done for us, he willingly laid down his life for us on Calvary. The question is, would we do the same thing? If met in, in a similar situation and circumstance, what would we do? And as we look at Calvary in these weeks, I hope that we will be able to see the clarity of the cross and, and the fullness of all that Jesus was trying to do. Today, we're going to look at Genesis 22, as Tosh has read for us, and the story of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac, or at least attempting to. A young boy tied to an altar, the blade in his father's hand, ready to kill him. How could this be a picture of Calvary? How could this be reflective of the heart and mind of God? Well, it's because of this most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the heart of God, that God loved so much that he gave. This, is the, this giving by God the Father was a, a deep, sacrificial giving that cost the life of his own son. Now, if we look at this story, we're not going to read a lot of verses in Genesis 22 because we've already read that, that passage. But if you, if you look at this story, Abraham had waited for years and years and years for the promised son. And finally, through his wife, Sarah, this promised child, Isaac, was born. Now, Abraham had another son, Ishmael, that he had to send away prior to Genesis chapter 22. So he was just left with Isaac and all of these promises spoken to Abraham about Isaac and how God would bless him through this child, Isaac. Now God asks Abraham, now come and give me Isaac, sacrifice your son on the altar. This is, this is unimaginable. This is unthinkable. It was a test of Abraham's faith, the, the ultimate test of Abraham's faith. And... Out of, out of all the places that Abraham could go, he actually ended up, God told him, I'll tell you where you should do this sacrifice. He ended up going into the land of Moriah, which many Jewish scholars believe is the same place, exact place where Solomon built the temple and where the current temple mount resides even till today. A place, the place of Calvary that we call also known as Golgotha is just uh, very nearby to that temple mount in Jerusalem today. So, in this story, what are the, the glimpses or, or the little things that we can see that bring to us a little bit of the, the clarity of the, the gospel message, the clarity of the cross of Jesus? I want to share with you a few things. Number one, that we can see the sacrificial heart of God the Father, that we can see the, the perfect obedience of God the Son, Jesus, that we can see this substitutionary sacrifice that was in the heart and mind of God. That we can see a new covenant made with humanity. And finally, that, that there was a bride that was waiting as a result of Calvary. So let's look at some of these glimpses through the story of Abraham and Isaac and, and the sacrifice uh, or the offering of Isaac. The first one is the sacrificial heart of God the Father. God the Father here is represented in Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son. 
As we read that verse in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so God the Father here is represented in Abraham's willingness to sacrifice. Now, as a new father myself, I cannot comprehend this at all. I, I cannot even imagine taking my son and putting him on the altar and holding a knife, you know, to, it's just incomprehensible for me. So to imagine Abraham being put in this situation to do this is, is, a, is a heart of sacrifice that who can understand that? And again, the, the story here in the Old Testament is just a glimpse. So whatever you see here in the Old Testament so story is just a, a microcosm, is just a, a, a drop in the bucket of what the reality is. So if it was such a great and enormous sacrifice for Abraham to put his son Isaac on the altar, which in my mind just boggles my mind completely, that's just a drop in the bucket to what it was in comparison to God the Father sending Jesus, the eternal God, down here to earth to take on the form of humanity and die a sinful, a suffering death for the sin of all of humanity. It's so hard to imagine. Now, Abraham was, was an old man at this time, and probably he was thinking, well, this is my last chance to have a son, and now you're asking me to give, give all of this up as well. There's very little hope that Abraham would have uh, other children through, through Sarah. But Abraham didn't hesitate. It says in verse 3 that Abraham got up early in the morning and got ready to go to this place. It's not that he was discouraged and slept in, oh, today's the day, I got to do it. No, he got up early in the morning and got everything ready to go out to make the sacrifice. He even got wood ready because he didn't want to take a chance that the place that he would go, the place that God would show him, there would not be any wood for him to cut up and actually make that altar. So he brought everything with him. Even as they were going up into the mountain, he brought the fire as well with him. He traveled three days until he saw the place that God had told him about. The heart of God from the very foundation of the world is a heart of sacrifice. And you can see this in Revelation 3. It talks about the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. See, Calvary wasn't an afterthought. The cross of Jesus wasn't an afterthought after Adam and Eve sinned and was like, oh, no, what are we going to do now? No, this was in the heart and mind of God from the very beginning. And so this, this sacrificial heart of Abraham to give his son in sacrifice points to the sacrificial heart of our heavenly father. That even before the world began, even before Adam and Eve sinned, even before all of creation, the heart of the father was sacrificial and saying, I am going to send my son. This is the lamb of God. He is slain from the foundation of the world. Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 says this, this man, speaking of Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Here, Peter says, this was God's deliberate plan. It wasn't that you guys had your way. It wasn't that Satan had the victory. It wasn't that the, the Romans did what they wanted to do. No, this was God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge for Jesus to die. And we see this heart of sacrifice of the Heavenly Father planning way before even the creation of the world. In 1 Peter, it says something similar. It says, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Christ was chosen to, to take on this, this task. In the former eternity, the, the, the Lamb of God said, yes, 
I am willing to do this. And, and the heart, the sacrificial heart of God, again, compare this. The heart of Abraham saying, I got to give up my son here, how hard and difficult it is. For me, it boggles my mind. I couldn't even get to that place. But that in itself is just a drop in the bucket in comparison to God the Father sending Jesus, his son, the eternal God, the immortal God, the all-knowing God to come and take the form of, of, of human beings and die such a terrible death to be born into this world and die such a terrible death. But look at what, he's, look at what Paul says in Romans. Not only that, it says, He, the God the Father, who did not spare his own son, did not spare Jesus, sacrificially gave him for us. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? There is such amazing hope in this verse because here God says, look, I've given you Jesus like, I've given you the pinnacle, the top, the, the most that I could give you, I'm giving to you. I've given you Jesus, my son. Now, on top of that, I'm going to give you everything else that you need. Isn't that an amazing heart of sacrifice? It, it might seem horrendous, unthinkable, unimaginable for a father to sacrifice his son. But how about the eternal God to take on human flesh and suffer and die for mere mortals? Even more unthinkable, yet the sacrificial heart of the father was, the sacrificial heart of the father conceived this, planned this, demonstrated this, just to give us a glimpse into his heart. God asked Abraham to do all these things. It was a test of his faith. But in a much larger picture, we can see God revealing his heart to us. We get a little bit of a glimpse. Oh, look at this love. Oh, look at this sacrifice. However horrible you might think that this act was that God was asking Abraham to do, God sending his son Jesus for us is exponentially more sacrificial than anything our heart and mind can conceive or think of. Thankfully, God knew ahead of time that he would never allow Abraham to go through with this. He was just testing him. But he wanted to give us a little glimpse into the heart of God, a little glimpse into the sacrificial nature of God the Father. The second thing, another glimpse that we get is the glimpse into the perfect obedience of God the Son, Jesus Christ. Isaac was probably a teenager or a young adult at this time. Among other things, he was carrying all the wood up the mountain to, for, this, for this sacrifice. And we don't know the exact age, but he was probably a teenager, probably a young adult, maybe even, even a little bit older. In a, in a similar way, Jesus carries the cross to, to Calvary, right? He had to carry that cross. The, the, the fact that Isaac didn't fight back, the fact that Isaac didn't run away, the fact that Isaac willingly obeyed Abraham and he was tied to the altar. Can you, like, the passage says that Isaac is laying on the altar. Abraham ties him to the altar. You have this old man tying up this young man to an altar and Isaac is not fighting back and he's willingly going through with this. Can you imagine this, this, the, the heart of Isaac to perfectly and willingly obey his father? And we get a little glimpse into the, 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 the character of Jesus through this as well, who was perfectly obedient to his heavenly father. In Philippians, it says that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He willingly 
laid down his life. John 10 talks about this. John 10 says, the father loves me. These are the words of Jesus. The father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. Jesus laid down his life, right? In a, in a similar way, we see what Isaac is doing here, how he just lays down. He's in perfect obedience to Abraham. He says, therefore, I have authority to lay it down when I want to and to also take it up again. He laid down. This is the love of God, 1 John 3, 16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. He laid it down. He gave it up. Perfect obedience. We get a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. We get a glimpse into the character of Jesus. We get a glimpse into what Calvary was really like as we see Isaac laying himself down on that altar, not fighting back against Abraham, against his, his father who is, you know, old at this time. We must understand uh, the depth of sacrifice that is here, that Christ died for everyone. We see here in John 10, talks about the, uh, about the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. He sacrifices. He lays it down. Remember here, when we're talking about Jesus, that Jesus died for everyone, the just for the unjust, the sinless for the sinful, the holy for the unholy, the pure for the impure, the eternal God for mortal man. Unimaginable. But this is what Jesus did for us. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This is, this is an amazing reflection of God's love for us. Through both Abraham and Isaac, through the Father and Jesus, we see this amazing love. God showed this great love in sending Jesus to die for us while we were sinners, while we were enemies of the cross, while we were enemies of God. God died for us. Abraham's love, drove, love for God drove him to obedience. Isaac's love for his father allowed him to submit to his father Abraham. Our heavenly father's love for us causes us to sacrifice for him. Our heavenly father's love allowed the son Jesus to be obedient in his sacrifice. The love of Jesus made him willingly lay down his life in obedience to his heavenly father. And he calls us to do the same. In John 15, it says, no, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So you see, you see these glimpses. You, you see the, 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 the sacrificial nature of the father through Abraham. You see this, the amazing obedience of the son through Isaac. And then when they're getting ready to actually execute this sacrifice, you see this, this other glimpse of what's theologically known as the substitutionary sacrifice or substitutionary atonement or the atonement that God makes for us on Calvary. We see the heart of God from the very beginning was that God wanted to atone for his people, make a way because we had sinned. Even before, as, we, as I said, even before we had sinned, God had already conceived a way in order to bring us back into relationship with him. And here we get a glimpse into Jesus' substitutionary death and atonement. At the last minute, Abraham is there, the altar is there, Isaac is on the altar, on the wood, he has the fire. Abraham has his knife ready to kill his son and sacrifice him, and he's ready to do that. And God says, hold on, Abraham. 
don't do anything. Now I see that you trust in me. Your faith is in me. I see that you're obedient to me. Don't touch Isaac. That's okay. I wasn't really wanting you to sacrifice him. I just wanted to see whether you would listen. So over there, there's a ram. Get that ram and sacrifice him instead. As a substitution, sacrifice the ram. I brought you all this way to Mount Moriah. I showed you this place. You said it. You told your servants when you were coming up, we're going to go up and worship God. You need a sacrifice here. So Abraham, take this ram and, and sacrifice it in substitution for Isaac. And we see here, we get a glimpse into the substitutionary death of Jesus. In Romans chapter 6, it says, the wages of sin is death. This is what God has ordained. If we've sinned, the wage is death. There's no getting out of it. The wage is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The substitutionary death of Jesus is that Jesus died so that we don't have to. That he took our penalty and our punishment. This death that was going to be an eternal separation from God no longer needs to be because we can be reunited with God for eternal life with him forever and ever. Instead of us paying this price because we deserve death because of our sin, Jesus did it for us. The ram substituted for Isaac. Jesus substitutes for us. It's a glimpse into Calvary that we get from this story in the heart of God to say, hold on, don't touch Isaac, he is your son. Instead of that, Abraham sacrificed this animal. And, and God the Father looks down and says, Daniel, instead of you dying, I love you, Daniel. Instead of you dying, guess what? I am sending my son, Jesus. He'll die on your behalf, Daniel, because the wages of sin is death. Now put your name there instead of Daniel. And that's what God did for you. That's the substitutionary death and atonement that we get a little bit of a glimpse of here. In 2 Corinthians, it says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sin. We should have paid the penalty for our sin. The wages of sin is death. We should have paid that price. But God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The Old Testament prophecy spoke of this substitutionary death. In Isaiah 53, we'll look at this uh, in a couple of weeks. Can I give you a little sneak, sneak peek into something? Are you ready? Two weeks from now, our very own Reverend John Cook... He was ordained, when was it, John, last year, some time ago? But in two weeks from now, we're going to celebrate his ordination. Our district superintendent, Curtis Peters, is going to be in-house, and he's going to preach from this passage, Isaiah 53, and we're going to talk about that. It's going to be wonderful, right? And we're going to celebrate John. But in the meantime, he's going to talk about this, this verse, Isaiah 53, this substitutionary death. Look at what it says here in Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Instead of it saying that we were pierced for our transgressions, that's what we deserve. Instead, what happens? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. We should have been crushed. We should have been pierced. We should have died. 
But instead, Jesus took it. He was pierced instead of us. He was crushed instead of us. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He has not laid that on us. But he's laid it on Jesus to pay the price for us. This is the substitutionary death of Jesus. Taking our shame, taking our sin, taking our transgressions, taking our punishment. Romans 3 verses 21 and 26, we don't have time to go into, speaks about how Christ has taken our punishment. And all we need to do is believe on Jesus. He was the substitution for us. We, are going to be, we were going to be eternally separated from God, that second death. But Jesus took our place so that we can be reconciled to God. How wonderful is that? That's the story of Calvary. That's the story of Easter. That's the story of Jesus. That's the story of this cross. That's what we celebrate during this time in Easter, that we remember what Jesus has done for us. The sin of the world came upon Jesus. For one moment we see when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For a moment the Father turned his face away. As as the sin of the world came upon Jesus, he took it for us. Galatians chapter 3, we'll talk about this actually uh, next week when we look at the the story of the brazen serpent that Moses raised up. And we're going to, I'll tell you a little bit more about this at the end of the service. We're going to pray for healing next Sunday. And we're going to invite people to come up uh, and the elders will be here to anoint with oil and pray for healing. If you have a specific need of healing, whether it's physically, whether it's spiritually or emotionally, we want to be able to pray for you next week as we study this story, this this other glimpse of Calvary. But here you see it, that Jesus has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Christ took the curse for us. This is the substitution. Instead of Daniel doing that and the curse coming upon Daniel, well, guess what? The curse instead came upon Jesus. He took it for us. He took it for me. He took it for you. This is the beauty of the cross. This is the wonderful story of Jesus. This is the wonderful story of Calvary. This is the wonderful story of Easter. This is what we celebrate. This is why we give our lives to Jesus because of what he has done for us. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us first. He did all of these things for us that we might be redeemed, that we might be reconciled, that we might draw back to him. In Romans 3, 24 and 25, it says, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as what? The sacrifice for our sin. He was the sacrifice. He was that ram. Abraham, don't sacrifice Isaac. Don't touch him. Instead, take this ram. In Isaac's place, kill the ram. Don't touch Daniel. Don't touch Mike. Don't touch Wes. Don't touch Wayne. Don't touch Rebecca. Don't touch Tony. In their place, Jesus has taken the sacrifice for our sin. In our place, Jesus died. 
People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life in shedding his blood. The fourth thing is that the new, co- the new covenant made with humanity, we get another glimpse of this covenant. After Abraham obeys God, willingly sacrifices and offers Isaac on the altar, God stops him, provides a ram for a sacrifice, the substitutionary death, a glimpse into the substitutionary death and atonement of Jesus. There's something special that comes out of this experience. There's, there, can you imagine, you know, sometimes you have a father-son, you know, fishing trip, and you hope that people bond through a father-son fishing trip. Can you imagine the type of bonding that went on here? Father-son, sacrifice, kill you trip, but hey, happy ending, you're still alive, everything works out good. I think there's probably gonna be some good bonding there, right? Going on between Abraham and Isaac, right? After After this big long trip, right? Abraham comes back and sees Sarah and says, yeah, hey, you know, Isaac is still here, right? We're much closer together now than we were when we left because of this whole experience that we went through. But something came out of all of this. And that was a, a covenant, right? It was a covenant that was made not only with Abraham, but a covenant that was made with Isaac. It was a covenant of blessing. Genesis 22, 17 and 18 says, I will certainly bless you. This is God speaking to Abraham. I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, this is the most important part, through your descendants, guess who through who? Through not, not through Ishmael, but through Isaac, Right? Through your descendants, through this Isaac, this experience you just had, this great bonding experience that you just had with Isaac, through your descendants, Isaac, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. The important part is not there's going to be tons and tons of people. The important part is that last part, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your descendants. Who is the person that is going to be the blessing? It's Jesus. It's Jesus that comes through the line of Abraham. It's Jesus that comes through the line of Isaac. It is Jesus that comes, and through Jesus, all of the nations of the earth is blessed because he dies for all of humanity. And now every nation and tribe and kindred and tongue can come to him. This is the, this is the blessing. And so through this covenant, we get a glimpse into the new covenant that God makes with his people, right? In Hebrews chapter 8, here, here the author of the book of Hebrews says, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. So remember, the covenant God makes with Abraham and with Isaac is that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your descendants. Specifically, particularly, he's talking about Jesus because Jesus will come from that lineage. This is what he was talking about. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind. I will write them in their hearts. I will be their God. They will be, this is so amazing. I will be their God. They will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness. And I will never again remember their sins. How amazing is that? All because Abraham went up and sacrificed Isaac. And we get a little glimpse through the covenant that God makes with Abraham and Isaac to say all of the nations of the earth will be blessed because of what you have done, Abraham, through your son Isaac, and this is the covenant. I don't know. I get excited about Easter. (laughs) This is what God has done. 
This is the new covenant. A new heart will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. They shall know me from the least to the greatest. You won't need to tell people. It would, the God will reveal himself. It's amazing what God is doing here. In the next chapter, Hebrews 9, it says, For by the power of the eternal spirit, we just talked about the Holy Spirit and how he empowers us, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. This is amazing that Jesus is the mediator. Through you, Abraham, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed because of your descendants, particularly because of Christ. Because what Christ will do, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so now coming into the New Testament time, we get this clarity. We see it as a glimpse in the Old Testament. But we come into the New Testament, Jesus dies on the cross and the veil is torn and and the clarity is seen. Oh, this is what is the fulfillment of that covenant. Oh, now we see this is what was in the heart of God. It was, it was obscure before. It was seen through a glass darkly. It was just a shadow. But you saw a little glimpse of it through this story. And now the clarity of the cross is there as Jesus dies and says, Everyone, come. Everyone, come. Everyone, come to me. Oh, I will forgive your sins. Oh, I will put my laws into your hearts. I will be your God. You will be my people. Come to me. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Oh, this is the beautiful message of the gospel. This is the beautiful message of the cross. Just as God covenanted with Abraham to bless him and his children, God covenants with us through Jesus, the son, that he will bless us. And pour out this eternal blessing to give us life with him forevermore. And the last thing, and I'll close with this. I'll tell you a story at the end. But last point. The bride is waiting as a result of Calvary. If you, if you read the chapter, we didn't get, I, I purposely left this part out. Tosh right up till verse 18 in, in Genesis 22. If you keep reading a few more verses down at the end of chapter 22, you'll see after this amazing experience, this amazing bonding experience within Abraham and Isaac, they get back. Abraham gets the news, right? It wasn't on Facebook or a, you know, or a text message or anything like that. Finally, the news came to Abraham. Guess what, Abraham? Your brother has had eight sons, right? Your brother has had eight sons. Okay, sounds good. But within that, there's a, little, there's a little note there. Oh, and one of them, Bethuel, had a daughter as well. Her name is Rebecca. And you're looking at me like, okay, big deal, Rebecca. Well, Rebecca ends up being the bride, the wife of Isaac. The news comes at the end of Genesis 22. After this amazing experience that Abraham and Isaac have, you come down to the end of the chapter. Abraham gets this news. Guess who is born? Guess who's there? It's Rebecca. He did not yet know yet at this time that Rebecca would end up being Isaac's wife. But the news of Rebecca being born, the news of Rebecca being there comes to Abraham. And I think the writer specifically put that little tidbit of information there. Why is that significant? Because of what Jesus has done for us. It's a glimpse into Calvary. Because of what Jesus has done for us on Calvary, guess what? Guess who we get to be? The bride. The wife. The lamb's wife. That's us. 
He calls us to be his bride. He calls us into deep, intimate relationship with him. As the, He's the husband, we're the wife. He is the bridegroom, we are the bride. It's all because of Calvary, and we get a little glimpse of it in this story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. He gets this little bit of news. Ephesians says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, his bride, his wife, and gave himself for her. Oh, it's such an amazing thing to see and understand and know that we are the bride of Christ. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Hebrews chapter 12 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him. Now, a lot of theologians talk about what this actually could be. There's various things that it might be. But one way in which we can look at this, the joy set before him that he endured the cross, it was the joy of having a bride. I don't know about you, but when I was dating Laura, I was like excited. Yes, I get to marry Laura. I was looking forward to it, even in the midst of COVID. Well, here, for the joy set before him, for that joy of having a bride, that joy of having a church, that joy of that intimate, beautiful, amazing, awesome relationship that he would have with this bride. Oh, he endured the cross. He, the, the scorning, he endured the scorning and shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and he is ever living to make intercession for who? For his bride, for you and for me. He's at the right hand of the throne of God. He is praying for you. He is praying for me. He is praying for his bride. He is waiting. Oh, we are waiting for that amazing and awesome day. The marriage of the Lamb will come. His bride has made herself ready. What a wonderful day that's going to be when we will be reunited with Jesus to be in his presence, to see his face, to see our bridegroom. We as the bride of Christ, to see and know our Savior. Oh, it all, it all comes back down to this. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Worship team, please come. I'll close with the story of a, a man named Maximilian Kolbe. He was a Polish priest who was taken as a prisoner of war during World War II. He would hide Jewish people, and because of that, he eventually ended up in Auschwitz, a concentration camp. When a prisoner escaped from where he was at, the Nazis selected 10 people, 10 other people to be killed by starvation as a punishment uh, to show the other people, hey, nobody should escape. One out of the 10 people that were selected was a guy named Fran Franciszek Gajonicek. And he cried out and he said, oh, my wife, oh, my children, I'm never going to be able to see them again. At this point, Colby, who was a single man, he stepped forward and he told the Nazis, he said, let me take his place in the starvation chamber. Die a horrible death. I will do that for him. Would we do that? Well, Maximilian Colby did, and he went into that starvation chamber, and there he led prayers. They sang hymns. Uh, the presence of God was there. All the others died, and he still was left alive. And finally, they needed the space, so instead, the Nazis injected him with carbolic acid to kill him. And he died when he was 47 years old on August 14, 1941. Colby's testimony is an example of a, of a sacrificial life, a man laying down his life for others. This is what Jesus did for us the substitutionary death he took our shame he took our pain he took our suffering he took everything for us that we might have relationship with him and he wants to do that for us today
God so loved the world that he gave. Let's stand. He gave and he gave and he gave and he still gives till today. Let's celebrate. Let's worship God because he sent his son for us.